0: in about five minutes during the message everybody's asleep so uh, <laughs> including me so that's a uh... well glad you're here this morning we are going to pick up where we left off from the last time i taught we're in james chapter 3 we're going to be looking at verses 13 13 through 18 if you need a bible just raise your hand and emery over here will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. I mentioned Sean and uh, uh, Joey at a conference. They're on their way back. Uh, Sean is anyway. But uh, I-, I thank Sean for covering for me last week. He did a great job and uh, great study on the rapture and the hope that we have. But before we get to the study this morning, I really need to address some false teaching that Sean taught last week. <laughs> He said, when the rapture happens, make sure you're not wearing any Kansas City Chiefs clothes. Everyone knows that God's a Green Bay Packers fan. But you see, he has no scripture to back that up with. We know that God is a Chiefs fan because we have scripture. 1 Peter 5, 4 tells us, When the Chief Shepherd appears... You will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Jesus is the chief. There you go. You can tell Sean when he gets back we took care of his false teaching. (laughs) James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, we read, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy... And self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil things are there. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The title of my message this morning is wisdom dot 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 worldly versus heavenly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here to give us understanding from your word, application in our lives that would change us, draw us closer to you in our relationship with you. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us those areas in our lives where we need to make changes, those areas in our lives where we need just encouragement, uplifting. Whatever it is, Lord, that you want to do in our hearts this morning, we want to be open to receive all of that. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again uh, this morning. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts, help them to see their need for you, to turn from their sin and turn to you this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for a time that we can spend together. We ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw this meme yesterday. I thought about sharing it and not sending it sharing it, but I'll share it. It says, how to politely tell someone they are stupid. Wisdom has been chasing you, but you have, you have always been faster. <laughs> I read a story about a, a small store owner who was being pressured to sell his store to the owners of this large department store, for about every building on the block except his. Frustrated by this manager's refusal to sell, they eventually opened up this huge store on either side of this one small store. And they put a large banner on both of their buildings, proclaiming in large letters, grand opening. While well, feeling equally frustrated, the small store owner finally did outsmart the large department store With grand opening signs on either side of his store, the man put up a small banner of his own over the door of his small store that read, Main Entrance. (laughs) Wisdom. Wisdom. Being wise doesn't mean we understand everything that's going on because of some superior knowledge that we have. Being wise is simply doing the right thing as life comes along. Now, what that right thing is, comes from knowledge and is directly related to where that knowledge comes from. From below or from above? From the world or from the Word? If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things. Number one, wisdom. Number two, we'll look at wisdom from below. And number three, we'll close with wisdom from above. But point number one, wisdom. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability or result of an ability to think and act Utilizing knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. Wisdom is especially important for us today, as it was for the Jews in their days. They realize that it's not enough for men to possess knowledge alone, but you need to have the wisdom to be able to use that knowledge correctly. I think we've all known, or we met someone who is very intelligent, perhaps even on a genius level, but it seems like it's almost impossible for them to carry out the simplest everyday, you know, task in the home. Well, can you hang this picture? Well, I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't hold this up. See, sometimes with great knowledge comes a lack of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 tells us, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. See, James is going to show to us this morning just how important Wisdom is he's continuing to exhort the church, the people in the church who want to be teachers of the Word, that it's not simply uh, to not simply just stand there before the people and say something. you have to have something to say. There's a lot of people today that are saying something. In fact, everybody seems to have something to say nowadays. Everyone has a podcast or a YouTube video or a channel or a selfie video or on social media. Oh, here I am in Nashville, and they're talking about their trip, and it's all posted, and we see the little video, what's going on in their lives. Pastors out there today, I listen to some of them for about 10 or 15 minutes, and they ramble on and on and think, what are they even talking about? I haven't got a clue. It's certainly not God's Word. See, in a day when sermons used to bring the message of hope, we have podcasts who, who knows what they're saying. So James here wants us to understand that there is wisdom that that is necessary for a solid foundation, and especially if you're called to be a teacher of God's Word. And James makes it clear the wisdom we need is not from this world. It's a wisdom that comes from God alone. Paul, in talking about uh, wisdom, the wisdom of God, he said this in 1 Corinthians 121, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Paul there declares this powerful truth. The reason so many failed to believe in Christ's death on the cross as the only way to be forgiven from their own sin, it's not because that that idea is too hard to understand. It's because it's too simple. They think, well, I, I must do something more than just repent and believe. It's too easy. And as a result, humanity at large has failed to come to know God through human wisdom. But you see, it's only through God's wisdom that leads man to his Creator and enables him to see things from an eternal perspective. I like what Lloyd John Ogilvie writes. He writes this, Wisdom is the special gift of the Lord for our quest to know His will. It is beyond intellect and knowledge. In a willing mind, Wisdom enables a person to hear with God's ears and see with his eyes. Wisdom is inspired depth perception into people and situations. It is vertical thrust of the mind of God into our minds, making discernment possible on the horizontal level of human affairs. With wisdom, we can penetrate the mysteries of God, his nature, plan, and purpose. If we long to know God's maximum for our lives, wisdom is a gift we need and want in order to do the will of God. Well, if it's wisdom that we need, if it's wisdom that we want, then we need to make sure we're getting the right type of wisdom. So James begins by asking a question. Look at verse 13. Who is wise among you, and wise in understanding among you? The word for understanding here is used only here in the New Testament. It means a specialist or a professional. It speaks of one who can skillfully apply his expertise to a practical situation. Mind me of a story that happened one afternoon when Casey Stengel was managing the Mets. His starting pitcher, a lefty, was showing signs of fatigue. As one pitch after another, he missed his strike zone. The crowd began to groan and hiss and boo. Finally, when the boos became deafening, Casey went out to the mound to replace his left-hander. But Casey, the pitcher, pleaded, I-, I want to pitch myself out of this hole. Why take me out now? Casey says, well, in case you haven't noticed, people are beginning to talk. You see, Stengel was skillfully applying his expertise to a practical situation. We need a new picture. So, James here says, uh, Ask, okay, who here is the specialist, a professional, one who is wise and understanding among you? He says in verse 13, Then let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, we've been looking at how we must, the the, the looking at faith without works is being dead. Here James is saying those works that you're doing that show your faith need to be done in the meekness of wisdom. That word for meekness can also be translated gentleness. Gentleness of wisdom, which is the opposite of arrogance and self-promotion. And that's what James is making the comparison for us this morning. God's wisdom versus earthly wisdom. Wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. A wisdom that we need, a wisdom that we want, Then we need to make sure we have the right wisdom. And that brings us to point number two, the wrong wisdom. Look at verses 14 through 16, wisdom from below. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. James here is talking about our old sinful nature. Bitter, envy, self-seeking hearts. That's what the unregenerate heart is all about. When self-seeking and and, and bitter envy are allowed to run free, we should expect, as James says, every evil practice to follow in its wake. Self-seeking in your heart is seeking only to further your own interest. It's that, that's all about me mentality. It's a complete disregard for others. Your happiness, your comfort is all that matters. It's arrogant. It boasts. It's opinionated. It's unyielding. I read a story that happened back in 1986 when two ships collided in the Black Sea, sending hundreds of passengers into the icy waters, resulting in a, a, a tragic loss of life. News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed that that the accident was caused by human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence and both could have taken evasive action to avert the collision, but neither wanted to yield to the other. By the time they saw the error of their ways, it was too late. Bitter, envy, self-seeking in your hearts. See, again, it's all about the me mentality. It's, the, it's a wisdom that one would look for that would tell them what they want to hear. I want to hear what's going to satisfy me, what's going to benefit me. Wisdom from below, or what we might call worldly wisdom, tells me to look out for number one. Look out for yourself because no one else will. Let me tell you, wisdom from below, worldly wisdom, we're hearing this all the time. Well, follow your heart. You know, wisdom from the world tells me, well, there's many ways to God. Wisdom from below tells me God is love and He would never condemn anyone to hell. Well, if God was all powerful and all good, there would be no evil in this world. Wisdom from below tells me we are growing in our relationship and our understanding of what used to be thought as wrong really isn't that bad. People are born this way. They can't help it. Worldly wisdom says if we just pass more laws, then that will stop evil from happening. Or according to our president, if we just make certain things legal, there will be no more evil. If we just let the prisoners go free, then it's going to end the cycle of evil. If we just get rid of police, then that'll end the problem. Sin is the only racism. We can make a better world. That's all wisdom from below. Worldly wisdom says masks and vaccines will prevent COVID. Ivermectin doesn't work and COVID didn't come from a lab. All this worldly wisdom comes from natural man as opposed to the spiritual. Folks, for us as Christians right now, more than ever, we must be taking what the world is shouting at us and put it through the lens of God's Word. And if it doesn't match up, get rid of it. You know, people say, well, well, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? No, the Bible doesn't say that. It's not even biblical. God helps those who can't help themselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. Christ died for us. A dead person can't help themselves. In this day and age, with so much deception, we need to be on our toes. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul was not against philosophy as such. The word philosophy comes from two roots, philo meaning love, of, and sophie meaning wisdom. It's a love of wisdom. Paul was, it was the type of philosophy, the type of wisdom that Paul was warning us. of was human wisdom, worldly, earthly wisdom. He says, beware of it. It's going to draw you in, but it's only going to leave you empty. James tells us in verse 15 that this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Listen, whenever man has tried the world's wisdom and tried to construct his life on the foundation of the world's wisdom, he's always ended up defeated, discouraged, and disappointed. This goes back to to biblical history and look at the consistent pattern of failure. Take, for example, the Tower of Babel. It was man's attempt to reach God through his own wisdom. The result, total confusion. Then there was the time Abraham followed the wisdom of the world when he left God's appointed place during a time of famine. It made perfect human sense to go to Egypt. But the result of Abraham was a sinful relationship with the Egyptian woman, Hagar, and ultimately the birth of Ishmael. Lot is a classic example. He followed the wisdom of the world. He chose, oh, this is the good land. I want this part over here. His choice made sense on paper, but the end result was his own personal demise and the loss of his wife. This goes all the way back to the very beginning in creation. There in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, we read there that the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Just took the wisdom of the world. That makes sense. That sounds good. See, the wisdom that Adam and Eve received when they disobeyed God in favor of Satan's promise was the wisdom of the world. We can go on and on with examples in the Old and the New Testament alike uh, just to bring out all the results of men and women using the world's wisdom and seeing the horrible effect. James says in verse 15, it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. That word sensual in the Greek is psuky. It means natural. It's translated in 1 Corinthians 2.14 as the, the natural man. In fact, the word psychology and psychiatry are derived from that word. When the word psuky is used, it's used to describe the wisdom of the world. It means natural. It means opposed to the spiritual. So when a person is born, they come into this world uh, with a body that's alive, a soul that's alive, but spiritually they are dead because of sin. Separated from God, from life, real life originates in a relationship with God. Yeah, a person can seem to be living a, a, a good life, but they are as dead as can be until they are born again. Until that happens, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Those that are in the world they can't understand wisdom from God. All they know is wisdom from the world. So when James says this wisdom is central or or soulless he is describing a wisdom that comes from that old nature. It's carnal. It's fleshly. It revolves around the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh. A wisdom that is anchored in man's fallenness, it is anchored in that part of us that is fatally flawed. Uh, they are blind to the things of God and blind to the wisdom of God. And we know that Satan, he's the instigator and in all of this. that it all started back there in the garden. Every person ever born comes complete with an old sinful nature and when it comes to the wisdom of the world, that's what they have. That's why James says wisdom of the world is not wisdom is not earthly and sensual; it's demonic. Verse 15. You know, Satan's wisdom is alive and well, and you and I are more affected by it than we know. It's a dominating influence in our society today. Satan's—he's he, wise. He's anointed cherub. He, he's not a slouch. He's cold. He's calculating. He's diabolical. Diabolical. He's dark. He's evil. So, then what is demonic wisdom? Well, James tells us it's wisdom that lies against the truth. You now, in John 8 Jesus said of the devil, He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. And we see it all the time Satan's lying against the truth and causing mankind even to deny the very existence of God as he appeals to that, that sensual part of man's nature. When we allow our feelings and our emotions to control us, regardless of what the Bible, uh, uh, God's Word says, that, that, that's lying against the truth. Think about this. The wisdom from below, demonic wisdom, is seen in abortion. Right? According to, to the CDC, 55% of teens under the age of 18 have had sex. Their wisdom, worldly wisdom, says, why not? Everyone is doing it. I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. The ends justify the means. But suddenly, there's a baby. A demonic wisdom comes along and lies against the truth and says, well, that's not really a baby. It's, that's not a life. It's just an embryo. So it's okay to kill it. That type of wisdom is demonic. The truth, Exodus 20:13, you shall not murder. Demonic wisdom says God just didn't create man and woman, but whatever gender you want to identify with, Lies against the truth. Genesis five one and two. In the day that God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and blessed them, and called them mankind. In the day they were created. Demonic wisdom says it's okay to lie with a man like with a woman. All lies against the truth. The truth. Leviticus eighteen twenty two. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. We can go on and on, but it all leads to verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. James clearly marks out the consequences from the outcome of this worldly wisdom. He says it's confusion and every evil work. The word confusion here means to disturb. It's sometimes used to describe anarchy, a lawless confusion disorder. Are we not seeing that today? When worldly, demonic wisdom dominates a life, a community, a nation, a church, a home, a marriage, a friendship, the result is always going to be instability, chaos, lawlessness, and every evil work. That word evil and every evil work there doesn't mean bad. It means literally worthless. It means good for nothing. Remember growing up, uh, there was a saying going around that they would say he was you're, you're good for nothing, dirty rat. I always put "dirty rat" at the end of that. I don't know why. Rats are dirty anyway. But James is saying that the wisdom of the world it's good for nothing, or it comes to nothing. It has no value. All of it lies against the truth. Listen, if you're a believer, the wisdom of the world belongs to your old life, the life before Christ. It should never be a part of your new life in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. So, then our first step in looking for true wisdom is to to look up, not wisdom from below. And that brings us to our third point, wisdom from above. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in contrast, man's wisdom looks out for self-interest. God's wisdom looks how to help others. God's wisdom keeps the peace. Oh, how we need wisdom from above when it comes to our marriages, our kids, and our church, and the workplace. Let's break some of these things down that James says. James describes this wisdom from above starting in verse 17 by saying, first of all, it's pure. It's pure. It's pure in the sense that it's never going to lead you into something that is immoral or lead you to compromise your walk. Never. It'll never lead you to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. See, wisdom from above should lead us to live morally pure lives. But if you're caught up in some secret sin, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God until you repent. Perhaps it's some sin that's costing you money. Be it a pornography on the internet or some sort of substance abuse or maybe it's gambling and maybe it's simply that you're not tithing, giving to the Lord as you should. And you think, God, I don't know what's wrong with my finances. We're really struggling here. We need we need more money. I need another job. I need wisdom on what to do in this situation. Yet God has clearly laid out in His Word that He can't bless you as long as you're living in unconfessed sin. But far too many Christians are unwilling to give up that sin and that leads them ultimately to living frustrated, unfulfilled lives. After all, we're told in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. But if you go to God and you act on the knowledge and the wisdom that He's already given to you, turn from your sin, He will answer your prayer. See, God, James rather, is saying, wisdom from above begins with purity, and it should cause us to live pure and holy lives. That through the grace of God, we have put aside that bitter and, and, and envy and pride and covetousness, all the things that make up earthly wisdom. Next, James tells us that wisdom from above is peaceable. So when a decision needs to be made, when you need wisdom from above... God's going to give you a peace about it. A Peace about it. Now let me say this. God will never give you peace about something that is contrary to His Word. Never. And I say that because I've, come, I've had conversations with people over the years that have made decisions that completely go against, Christ, against Scripture and they'll say, Well, I prayed about it and, and God gave me this peace. I say, But it contradicts the Word of God. And, and and he can't be holy, a holy God, and give you the okay to do something that contradicts His holiness. I mean, try that, you know, with a police officer. You know, go and ask him permission to steal a squad car. See how far that gets you. It's not going to work. That's an extreme example, but I wanted to highlight the stupidity of someone saying I have a peace about something when it's against God's word. It's a false peace. I, I see this a lot when it comes to the marriage relationship. One person wants to get a divorce. There's no biblical reason for the divorce. They're just not happy. And they'll tell me, but I have a peace about leaving my husband or my wife. No. No, you just want out of the relationship, and you got this false peace. But it's not a peace that comes from God. It's a temporary peace. See, it's only when we are submitted to His Word and are seeking direction that God will lead, and sometimes it might not even make sense to you, but you'll have that peace of God. Or it could be like the couple who had just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Someone asked the gentleman the secret of their marital bliss. While the old man drawled, the wife and I had this agreement when we first got married. It went like this. When she was bothered about something, she would just tell me and get it off her chest. And if I was mad at her about something, I was able to take a long walk. I suppose you can attribute our happy marriage to the fact that I've largely led an outdoor life. Let me add another aspect of this peace. Walking in wisdom from above brings peace in your life. It's peaceable. Literally peaceful. Knowing that God is in control. This past week, you may have heard this from our president. We have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. For the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, we have a direct threat to the use of nuclear weapons. If, in fact, things continue down the path they've been going. Clearly a man that does not know what the Bible says about Armageddon. Armageddon comes at the end of the Great Tribulation period, which we as believers will not be here for. We would have been raptured out of here, as Sean spoke of last week, wearing our chief's uniforms. But then you see, I have a peace because I know the Word of God and what it says. So I, I have the wisdom to know that my God's in control. And that nothing happens to you or to me as a child of God that that takes God by surprise. He allows it. And since we know that God is good and wants only what's best for us, what He allows in my life is for my benefit. So then that wisdom from God, that wisdom from above, it's peaceable. I have a peace no matter what's going on in this world. Now, that doesn't mean we always have peace with each other. There may be times when we're making waves and experiencing conflict because we're standing upon the word of God. And standing against demonic wisdom. Coming against worldly wisdom. And people, they're going to get upset with you. They're going to get upset with me. May even raise their voices. And that's why Paul tells us in Romans 12:18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That tells me that it's not always possible. But we're to do our best. Maybe you have a, a sister or a brother, or uh, you know, or maybe they, they they you know they're for abortion, and you speak out against it. You call it murder, and you you got this conflict going on. Or you come against homosexuality, and all of a sudden they don't want to have anything to do with you, and that peace between you and them is not always possible. Certainly, we need to be praying for them that God would open up their eyes. You know, don't compromise. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I like to pray, Lord, bring someone else into their life that can speak to their heart because they're not listening to me. And God will do that. See, that's wisdom from above. One more point about peace. We have peace with God because the spiritual war for our salvation is over. Let me say that again. We have peace with God because the spiritual war for our salvation is over. We are at peace with God because of what Jesus did for us upon the cross. Isaiah 53.5 tells us, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We have peace because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So James says wisdom is first from above is pure. It's peaceable. And then he says it's gentle. Or in other words, it's considerate. Even when you're treated unfairly. See, such a person with this type of wisdom will submit to all kinds of mistreatment and difficulty with an attitude of kindness, courteousness, humility, without any thought of of hatred and revenge. The wisdom from above makes one consider to what other people may be going through. You don't always know their situation. You're not walking in their shoes and it's very easy to judge and to condemn without knowing the facts. But the man or woman with this gentleness from above, with this wisdom, with being considerate, will make allowances for people's weaknesses and ignorance of others and will take the kindest perspective whenever it is possible. Bringing it down, as we looked at before, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We don't just get angry as they get, no, we just calm down. I don't understand. Let's be considerate. And then, James says, you're willing to yield. That's an interesting phrase there. It's only found in this verse in the New Testament. It's a military term that means willing to take instructions. It's a story I read on the occasion of, of Abraham Lincoln. He's trying to please a certain politician, and he issued a command to transfer certain regiments. When the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out, saying the president was a fool. When Lincoln was told of this, he replied, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be, for he's nearly always right. I'll see for myself. As the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake and without hesitation, he withdrew it. See, wisdom from above is willing to yield. It's taking, it's uh, taking a humble heart, willing to listen to reason. Humility is a part of that wisdom from above. Let me ask you this, guys, and ask you myself, are we willing to take instruction from our wives? That's a tough one. But it's wisdom from above. How are we willing willing to take instructions from our boss when we think we know better than what he's telling us to do? How about our Christian walk? Are we willing to take instruction from perhaps someone who has only been a Christian for a short time? Are we willing to take correction in theology when presented clearly an opposite of what you thought? I remember the pastor told me a story about a time he was counseling a young believer in an area of Scripture that, that this young believer was wrong. And so he asked him, he says, if I show you from Scripture that your view is wrong, are you willing to change? (laughs) This young believer walked out of the door angrily. (laughs) I guess he wasn't willing. Listen, godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom comes from being willing to yield. And Then verse 17, wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. To be be full of something means to be controlled by. The person who follows God's wisdom is controlled by. By mercy. You're gonna to want to show mercy to others. That's what Jesus said in Luke 6:36. Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruit, full of compassion, plus action. Finally, he says it's without partiality and without hypocrisy. Without partiality means you don't pick sides. You're not causing division. And without hypocrisy means you're real. Not pretending to be someone you're not. Paul wrote in Romans twelve, nine. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So when you handle every situation with godly wisdom, wisdom from above, you can have that peace in your heart that you've done what God has called you to do. James now concludes in verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we get back to a gardening illustration. If we want to produce the fruits of righteousness, then there has to be some cultivating in our garden. Just can't throw seeds down and expect to have great fruit. Have to cultivate the garden, turn the soil, pull the weeds, put in the, 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 the nutrients, the, the, maybe spray for insecticides. By now, all of us should be saying, I want God's wisdom working in my life. How do I get this wisdom from above? James says this comes by, by cultivating God's wisdom. And it begins with three things as we close. It begins with fearing God. Abiding in God and asking God. First and foremost, fearing God. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For us as believers, the fear of the Lord is not, you know, shrieking in fear, running away from God in terror, but we're to honor God. We're to reverence Him with our lives, obeying Him, to turn from the wisdom of the world and turn to the wisdom from above and say, God, if this is what Your Word says, that I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to do what you say. No compromise. Then secondly, the way to cultivate the wisdom from above is to abide in God. Abide in Him. Jesus said this in John 15:4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. And then he went on to say in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you're my disciple indeed. To cultivate godly wisdom, we need to spend time in God's word. We're to listen to what God has to say so that we're able to judge things the way God judges them. And also abide in God's Son. Colossians 2, 3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. The more you draw near to Christ, the more hidden treasures of wisdom will be revealed to you. Remember, you're a Christian, and Jesus Christ lives in you and gives you access to everything He has, including His wisdom. And finally, the third way to cultivate godly wisdom is by asking God. We looked at this in chapter 1, but it bears repeating. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. With that type of offer, how can you resist? It's an offer you, you can't refuse. At least you shouldn't. What's keeping you from seeking godly wisdom for that trial you're going through, that, that tough time you're handling, that, that everyday situation you're facing? God desires, God wants to give you wisdom to handle it, to get you through. And He's going to give it to you joyfully, gladly, without putting you down. You know, it's not, I can't believe Tom's asking for wisdom again. It's always asking. No, God doesn't do that. He's going to give you more and more wisdom as you ask. You might pray, Lord, I need your wisdom to help me handle my finances. If you choose to give me more resources, that's great. But more than anything else, I want what you want for me. I want to know what you want for my life. See, God knows what's best for us, and we need to leave it in His hands. And if we ask God for wisdom and apply the wisdom He's already given to us in His Word, I think then we wouldn't be coming to Him year after year asking the same thing over and over again. Start applying the truth of His Word, and God will give it to us and we can move on. Again, the fruit of godly wisdom is purity, peace, gentleness, willing to yield, full of mercy, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And when you ask for wisdom, again, a reminder from James 1.6, we need to ask in faith. Don't doubt. God will reveal Himself to you. Asking God in faith means that we treat Him like the supreme and sovereign God that He is. You know, it's not like He's just somebody of yours that will give His opinion and then see you later. No, He's there. Asking in faith, believe that God is ready and willing to answer our prayer for wisdom. Now, in fact, if you don't ask, there may be some more serious consequences you may face. God may intensify that trial you until you do, until you turn to Him. I want to close with this. Many of you have taken trips and have flown on an airplane before. My, my mother-in-law flew here a few weeks ago and we were totally enjoying her company. Now all she had to do in order to fly out here was to purchase a ticket, be at the gate at the right time in the right place. Pretty simple. But in order for that to happen, for it to get from California to Missouri, a lot of other things had to happen. Hundreds of people had to build the airplane. Then someone needed to be trained to fly it safely. Hours and hours in training and learning. Someone else had to be trained to be in that control tower, to guide the plane through a safe takeoff and a safe landing. A lot of people had to apply a lot of knowledge to get Mom here to Missouri. But all she needed to know was how to get in touch with a good airline, find out what time it's leaving, and to get on board. With this analogy in mind, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be wise from God's perspective. He's got all the knowledge. He's got all the wisdom. You just need to make sure you have your ticket and you get on board. Make sure you're saved and then allow Him to lead your life as you submit to His leading and direction for your life. He has all the wisdom you'll ever need. But if your life is going to take off, then you have to come to Him first. Finally again, verse 18 says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That, that's our desire. I like how Warren Wiersbe closes out this chapter in his commentary. He writes this, What we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow. What we sow determines what we reap. If we live in God's wisdom, we sow righteousness and peace, and we we reap God's blessings. If we live in man's worldly wisdom, we sow sin and war, and we reap confusion and every evil work. End quote. Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Want to be happy? Find some wisdom, godly wisdom. I'd love to be able to say, towards the end of my life, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12, in the New Living Translation, we can say with confidence and clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially towards you. Finally, what is the best wisdom from above that there ever was? <laughs> that you would come to faith in God's only Son, Jesus Christ. If you haven't done so already. The godliest wisdom you could ever use is to get your life right with Christ and come to Him today. Once your sins forgiven, you want to be born again. You want to be able to receive the wisdom from God. You need to be born again. You need that new life in Christ. And the only way to do that is to turn to Christ and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Ask for that forgiveness. Make that commitment to Him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make that commitment to the Lord. And you're saved. You'll walk with the Lord on this earth. He'll give you the wisdom that you need to make it through this, 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 this world the way it is. He promises us hope in eternity, heaven with Him. Give you the strength to live. Man, it's a win-win situation. Why would you not want to give your life to Christ today? That's wisdom from above. So if you've not given your life to Christ, I encourage you, do so this morning. I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we do as a church pray for wisdom. We pray for wisdom. Lord, how how to, to... best minister to those, those in our community and those around us, Lord, to be those that, that are looking at the needs of others, how we can help others. Lord, help us to turn away from the wisdom of this world, the things that the world says is good, is really bad, and the things that we know are bad, The uh, Lord, you know, it, it's what our society is doing. They're calling evil good and good evil. Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. Lord, help us to look to your word, to what is truth. Jesus, you said you're the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. And no man comes to the Father except through you. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again. Lord, that they would come to you this morning, repent of their sin, turn from their old ways, and turn to you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again today? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Just between you and the Lord, you want to make your, you have your life right with Christ to be born again today? Just raise your hand if that's your desire at all. Father, thank you for your love and grace towards us. Help us to walk in wisdom. As we know, the days are evil, we need your Holy Spirit, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for it. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'll stand and do one last song together.